On July 20th, 1969, Apollo 11 landed on the moon. Neil Armstrong famously was the first person to walk on the moon. And after that experience, he said these words. It suddenly struck me that that tiny, pretty, blue ball was earth. I put my thumb over the earth and closed one eye and I could no longer see planet earth. He said at that moment, I did not feel like a giant. He said, I felt very, very small. That perspective change, lifting yourself up off of this planet, going to outer space and seeing the real picture, pales in comparison to what happens in Revelation chapter 4. In Revelation chapter number 4, John, who has up to this point been confined to an island of prisonment, suffering for the gospel, will spend his final days there learning of the further coming trouble that the churches would be facing, is transported by the Holy Spirit from this earth up into heaven. And as we read a few moments ago, he enters into the throne room of God Almighty. In verse number 1, we see that there is a transition that takes place. Remember, in chapter 1, verse 19, it says that John's writings is going to talk about the things that were, the things that are, and the things that shall be. The things that were is chapter 1. The things that are is chapters 2 and 3. And the things that shall be is chapter 4 through chapter number 22. So in chapter 4, verse 1, he says this phrase that he will use over and over again in the book, after these things I looked. And notice this next phrase, and behold, a door was standing in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here, watch this, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Aren't you glad that God is in absolute, complete control of the future? Aren't you glad that your God is the one who says, after this, this must surely take place? And the very next thing that happens in this story is that John looks up and he sees a throne in heaven. A throne is a place of power and authority and rule. May I say it like this? A throne is where the king sits. And after verse number four, excuse me, verse number uh, three or two, the word throne is going to be used 11 times in this short chapter. 11 times in 11 verses, John is talking about this throne. It literally overwhelms John. By the way, John is no longer thinking about the island. John is no longer thinking about the persecution. John is no longer thinking about the suffering because the throne has consumed his visual. What satisfaction and comfort must have come to John to see that while he was suffering on this earth, And that while stranger and tougher things were coming, he was able to get a glimpse into heaven. That while this is happening on earth, 
God is on his throne. And church, I say to you today, God is on his throne. What does that mean for us? It means the king is alive. It means the king is in charge. It means that heaven is real. It means that all power and authority is given to the king. It means, ultimately, that all justice will be served. It means that all wrong will ultimately lose. It means that all righteousness ultimately will win. Because God is on his throne. Daniel chapter 7 Verse number 9 gave us a picture of this hundreds of years before. And Daniel said these words, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow. His hair uh, was, uh, uh, of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a burning, fiery flame of fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. And thousands and thousands ministered to him. Ten thousands times ten thousands stood before him. And the court was seated and the book was open. That's your God, friend. The Lord Jesus Christ sitting on a throne. Ruling heaven and earth today, yesterday, and even forevermore. So what do we learn about this throne this morning? I want to share with you this this morning. Number one. I want you to see this. We are welcomed to the throne. We are welcomed to the throne. Now notice, if you will, it, back in verse number one, it says, Behold, a door standing open in heaven. Interestingly enough, back in chapter 3, verse 7, John highlights the fact that these are the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens what no one will shut and shut what no one can open. Now we look up into heaven right here today and the first thing we see about heaven is this. There's a door into heaven. And I don't know about you, but I get very excited to think that there is a door that is open into heaven. Now folks, I want you to know that door is only open by one person and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that opens doors no one can shut, and he is the one that shuts doors that no one can open. In fact, he says this in John chapter 10 very plainly, I am the door of the sheep. In other words, I am the one who lets sheep in, and I am the one that keeps the wolves out. Listen to me very carefully. Heaven is a real place. Heaven is a righteous place. Heaven is a reserved place. Heaven is a promised place. It's as real as the seat that you are sitting on. When a person dies, they will either go to heaven or they will go to hell. And the only way that you can possibly get into heaven is not through works of righteousness that you have done, but according to the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the one who saves us. You can't get to heaven without Jesus, but here's the good news. You can get to heaven with Jesus. The door is open. Friend, I'm here to tell you, right now there's an open door for you. Right now, the Lord Jesus, by dying on the cross, shedding his blood, and rising again the third day, swung the door of heaven open for anyone who would believe. But then watch this. We see a door standing open, but we see an invitation to come. It says, in the first voice I heard was like a trumpet saying to me, come up here, and I will show you the things that must take place after here. 
Now, folks, I recognize that in the book of Revelation, there is no explicit discussion of what we call the rapture of the church. But you can't miss this here. This is too obvious and too good. The word rapture, which means to be seized away or snatched away, is a word that is inferred in this verse. I am not saying that this is the rapture of the church. I am saying that in the spirit of the picture of what is going to happen, John is caught up into heaven. Just like one day you and I will be caught up into heaven. And how does it happen? Watch this. It happens with a voice and a trumpet. Now, I don't know about you, but the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with what? With a voice and a trumpet. And the dead in Christ shall rise up. One day, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to step out onto the clouds of heaven, and you know what he's going to say to all of us? Come up here. And you know what's going to happen? We're going to listen to that voice, and we are going to come up here. Now, while I am saying this is merely a picture of the rapture, folks, do not misunderstand that the rapture will, in fact, welcome all of the people of God into his presence when it happens. Folks, listen very carefully. I believe the king is coming today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 and 52, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. My friends, one day, the Lord Jesus is going to sound a trumpet. His word is going to call his church to be with him forever. And I am urging and pleading with you today that you would be in that number of people that get called when Jesus Christ calls his church out of this world. Now, folks, there is ample information in the Bible that warns people to be ready and prepared for Jesus Christ to come. In fact, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 goes so far to say that those people who have heard the gospel before the rapture and they miss the rapture because they are not saved will be brought into deception and will have sealed and secured their eternal destruction forever. So please, let me make it simple if I could. It is imperative that if you have never accepted the open door to heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would today open up your heart like the front door of your house and welcome Jesus into your life so that he will welcome you into heaven one day. Number one, somebody better say amen. Aren't you glad that you have been welcomed to the throne? Number two, when we get there, we should wonder at the throne we should wander at the throne notice the description that begins to be uh, 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 that takes place beginning in verse number two we should wander at the throne immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne watch this now set in heaven what should we wonder about this throne what should bring us awe? what should inspire us to be uh, stunned and blown away by this throne. Number one, I believe we should wonder at the location of the throne. Where is the throne? Verse 2 tells me that the throne is in heaven. It is a throne over all other thrones. Do you realize in the book of Revelation there are three other thrones mentioned? In Revelation chapter 2 verse 13, there is a throne. I love this. There is Satan's throne in Pergamos. In the city of Pergamos, Satan had a seat, he had a throne, he had dominion. 
You know, the Bible is very clear. Do not give place to the devil. Do not give a throne. Do not give a place to sit in your life, in your home, in your marriage, in your church. Don't give a place to the devil, friend. Don't allow, hey, by the way, if you want to give it to him, he'll take it. And in Pergamos, for whatever reason, they gave Satan a seat and said, come on in. And here's the thing, though. Although Satan had a seat in a specific location, Jesus had a seat on a throne way above Satan's seat in Pergamos. I see, secondly, there's a throne of the evil dragon in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 2. The evil beast in Revelation 16 and verse 10 also has a throne. But please do not misunderstand it. There are thrones, there are dominions, there are principalities, there are powers, there are governments, there are authorities, there are kings, there are rulers, and there are mayors. But friend, I want you to know that above every mayor, every king, every governor, every president, every country is a God in heaven that rules over it all. Psalm 11 and verse 4, the Lord is in his holy temple, the Lord's throne is in heaven. Psalm 103, verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Isaiah 66, verse 1, thus saith the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. We should wonder at the location of the throne. We should wonder at the king who is on the throne. Look at verse 2 again. And one who sat on the throne. And look at this amazing description and, and he who sat there, verse 3, was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. Who is this king? Well, of course, we know this king is Jesus. But I want you to notice what he looks like. What does he look like? Look at this. He looks like jasper and sardius. Now, folks, what is jasper and sardius? Well, jasper and sardius are obviously... Uh, uh, major jewels that are spoken of in the book of Revelation. In fact, Jasper is mentioned again at the end of Revelation. I'm not going to read it for sake of time, but in chapter 21, verse 11, and, and verse 18 and 19, the Bible says that the actual city of heaven, where we will reside forever, has a wall built of Jasper, and the foundation of the first of the 12 foundation stones is also of Jasper, and the city, watch this, the city has a radiance of the glory of God that is like Jasper, clear as crystal. Now, folks, this splendor and majesty and glory that is being spoken of is to remind you of how wonderful and splendorous and magnificent and glorious your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is. Folks, there is no one like Jesus. There is no God like our God. We should worship at his throne just simply because, look, folks, if God never answered that prayer that he answered this week, he'd have still been God, he'd have still been on his throne, and he's still worthy of all of our praise. If he never healed my, my diseases, if he never provided those financial resources, if he didn't let that disease leave my body and I died and went to heaven, listen very carefully, he's still worthy. Why? Because in and of himself, he is good and faithful. Faithful and glorious and majestic. He's the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And we should wonder at his throne. We wonder at its location. We wonder at the one who's sitting on the throne. But notice, friend, we wonder at the splendor of his throne. Folks, there's some things going on at this throne that ought to cause you to pause for just a minute. Notice at the end of verse 3, 
And there was a rainbow around the throne. Folks, I want to tell you right now, rainbows have been hijacked in 2023. Folks, the rainbow is not a symbol of pride. The rainbow is a symbol of God's judgment, God's justice, and God's promises. The original rainbow, not the one on the flag. I'm talking about the original rainbow that God hung in the sky. The kind of rainbow right now that is literally hovering the throne of God is a rainbow that is not celebrating a lifestyle that is damnable and judged by God. It is celebrating a God who makes promises to people that through his word and through his kindness and through his goodness, he will not judge those who follow him any longer. But friends, lest we run quickly or miss what else is at the throne, there, of course, is a rainbow around the throne, but do not miss in verse number four. Uh, I, actually, let me, let me go to verse five. I'll get back to verse four in a minute. And from the throne, watch this, proceed lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne. Just, just try to get this picture. So there's this amazing, beautiful rainbow around the throne of God right now. And yet, coming from the throne, before the throne... There are like, I mean, the, the, best, the best description my mind gets is like tiki torches, okay? <laughs> These magnificent burning flames leading up to the throne, representing the seven spirits of God, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. And then from the throne, there's thundering and lightning and words. Now, where's the other time in the Bible that you see thundering and lightning and words? And the answer is on Mount Sinai, when God was producing his word when he was establishing his authority. And then in front of the throne, I love this, there's this beautiful, calm lake. Now where in the world are you going to see a picture like this? Thunderings, lightnings, fire, judgment, justice, and at the very same time, peace and promises. Folks, you're only going to find this kind of good news in one place, through Jesus Christ. Yeah. Folks, this is the gospel. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not what? Perish, but have everlasting life. Yeah. Folks, I'm here to tell you today, uh, as a sinner, me and you, plural, stand to be judged by God because his word has given his law. And that law has been broken by every single person in this room and frankly, every single person in this universe. And the Bible says in John chapter 5 that if you have not believed, you are already condemned. But where in the world could you find the same throne that issues out thunderous judgments and fire is the same one who offers peace, who offers a settlement, who offers a sea of glass of tranquility in a world of chaos, who offers a rainbow of promises in the midst of judgment. I want to tell you, there's only one place where judgment and peace kiss together, and that is the cross of Calvary. That is the place where the judgment of God fell on his son, and the peace of God flowed from his blood, and you and I can go to the cross where our sins were judged, and forgiveness freely 
flowed. How can you stand in the presence of the God of judgment, of the God of fire, of the God of thunder, and the God of lightning? There's only one way. You make peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And friend, if there's ever anything you should wonder at, you should wonder at this, that this God who is so full of justice and wrath and rage and sends out thundering and lightning is the same God who's willing today to offer you the peace that passes all understanding. He's willing to let you into his presence through his door before the throne to sit down on the lake of peace and rest. And rest. We should, we are welcome to the throne. We should Wonder at the throne. Finally, listen to this. We will worship around the throne. We will worship around the throne. Now, I want to point out this and give me a moment to teach here if I could. Verse, verse 4. Around the throne were 20 and 4 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. I'm not going to... I'm not going to take the time to unpack this incredibly deep here. It's just really simple. 24, uh, obviously, is a picture of something. It's a picture of completeness. This is not the only people that are there. I believe these are foundational people on thrones, rulers. The, the word elder is used here. John MacArthur has a whole, like, three-page research paper on why he believes these are humans. I'm going to spare you the details, okay? But I agree. I agree that these are representations of humans, of us. And, and both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the rulers of Israel and the rulers of the church are called elders. And I am convinced that there were 12 tribes, right? 12 tribes in the Old Testament, and there are 12 apostles in the New Testament. And I believe that they are, according to Scripture, that's Ephesians chapter 1 uh, and 2, are the foundation uh, the church, come on, the church is built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. So we are, we are here on their foundation. And I believe in heaven, this picture of the 24 elders is a representation of all of God's people, both past, present, and future, in the church and in Israel, who are gathered to his throne Together, worshiping him. Lord have mercy, can you even imagine? That's why Daniel says myriads upon myriads, thousands times thousands. Just pull yourself a seat up beside Moses for just a minute in the middle of the greatest concert you've ever dreamed about being in your life and just pull up a chair for a couple thousand years and talk about how good God has been. Just get you a little seat on a bench beside of Luke and talk about what happened there as he cared for the Apostle Paul through the book of Acts. And pull yourself up a seat beside somebody that you loved and cared for that went on before you. And somebody help me up here beside a preacher that loved you to Jesus that went on years ago. And just find yourself nestled up around the throne of God in the seats of the 20 and 4 elders. Worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of all lords. But that's not it. That's not it. That's just part of what's going on. Look at here. Look here. Go down to verse number 6. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne, there were four living creatures full of eyes in the front and in the back. And then he describes it in verses 7 and 8. What are these four creatures doing? Well, verse 8 says, they do not rest 
day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So in addition, watch this, in addition to this human element, folks, you're going to, look, you're going to really be there one day. I'm not talking about an apparition of you. I'm not talking about a theory or like some weird spooky thing about you. I'm talking about you. You will be absent in the body and present with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're going to be there with all the saints, past, present, and future. And if that wasn't spectacular enough, around the throne are these creatures. Now, we know in the next section of Revelation, beginning particularly in verse chapter 6, and I can't wait to get there, in chapter 6, these are the very ones that are used as the instruments to carry out the judgments that are going to happen on this earth. And then you see who they are. This is not hard to figure out. The Bible very plainly says they have these crazy appearances. They also have six wings. Who are these people? They're angels. Now look at what they're singing there. Holy, holy, holy. There's a whole other place in the Bible where this exact phrase is used. And it's in Isaiah chapter 6 where the cherubim, the, the mighty warrior angels are hovering around the throne of God celebrating his presence. Folks, you're starting to get a picture of what is going on in heaven. Not only are there going to be us in person with every Christian past, present, and future and every Old Testament saint uh, 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 that came through Israel and to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that, there's going to be myriads and thousands and millions of angels hovering around the throne protecting and, 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 and worshiping and, and bringing us into this one chorus, one chorus uh, that's going to be sung for all of eternity. We're going to worship. We're going to sing. Folks, I tell you what, I'm looking forward to hearing the hallelujah chorus up there. I'm looking forward to uh, our God uh, is an awesome God. I'm looking forward to every song, past, present, and future that magnifies and extols the person of Jesus Christ. I can't wait to hear the angels sing. I can't wait to hear me actually be able to sing. And then I can't wait for the angels to stop singing when we stand up and sing hallelujah for the cross. Thank God I'm saved. But for the blood... But for his mercy, because that's a song according to 1 Peter chapter 1, they cannot sing because they do not know. One day, they're going to stop, and we're going to crank it up, and we're going to sing about how great God is. And so what I tell you today is you might as well start practicing today what is inevitable for tomorrow. And that is worshiping around the throne forever and ever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. We're going to close in a worship song this morning. As the team comes to prepare us to sing, I want to ask you before they sing, and you sing with them, and we celebrate together how good God is. Let's, let me ask you this question. Is there anybody here today that would say, Preacher, wow. Uh, heaven is real. And there's a door open in heaven for me? Yes. And I can go there through Jesus? Yes. But my friend, that's a decision that you must make. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you will... Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart.
that God raised Jesus from the dead, you can be saved. I believe it's very simple, folks. Today, if you will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the only Lord and Savior of the world, that he died, shed his blood, rose again, today he's the only way to heaven. If you just confess it and acknowledge it, accept it, then you can be saved today. You can know today that if you did die, you would have a home in heaven forever. You can know that right now. But today I want to invite you right now to open up your heart. Be willing right here where you are to ask Christ to be your Savior. And I'll even form a prayer for you. My prayer doesn't save you. I'm just a pastor. I come the same way everybody else comes. I had to ask Jesus to be my Savior. So do you. But right here, right now, if you need Jesus in your heart and life and you've never asked him to be your Savior and you do not know that you are going to heaven as of right now, would you right now, where you are seated, open up your heart and ask Jesus into your life right here and right now? Just pray. In fact, you can just pray these words. It's your heart that matters, not these words. But you can pray these words by faith right there where you are. Here they are. Dear Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. But I believe in Jesus. I believe he died and rose again. Today, I accept you as my Savior. Thank you for loving me. Help me not to be ashamed of you. And amen. Right now, before we sing, I wonder if there's anybody out here that will say, Preacher, I just prayed that prayer. I meant it. I'm glad I did. I just asked Jesus to be my Savior, and I'm not ashamed of it. I'm thankful. If there's anybody like that, would you just slip your hand up that I could see it? Would you? I won't call you out or embarrass you. God bless you. Who else? Just lift your hand up. I just prayed that prayer. I meant it. I'm glad that I did. Just ask Jesus. To be my Savior, yes, yes, amen, that's great, great, wonderful. Anybody else, just lift your hand right up, preacher, that's me, I prayed that prayer a minute, glad I did, just ask Jesus to be my Savior, praise God for his saving power today. Let's stand to our feet if we could, let's have the worship team sing, if you know the song, join them in song.